Turn your Bible to the Gospel of Luke, Gospel of Luke, chapter 22. What are you thinking about? Among the classified ads in the Quay County Sun was this ad, farmer with 160 irrigated acres seeks marriage-minded woman with tractor. When replying, please show picture of tractor. (laughs) All of life is a matter of priorities. What do we put first? What's important to us? What do we think about? Where do our hearts and our heads reside? Look back at Luke 21, verse 37 and 38. Now, during the day, Jesus was teaching in the temple, but at evening, he would go out and spend the night on the mount that is called Olivet. And all the people would get up early in the morning to come to him to the temple and to listen to him. Jesus is busy teaching during his last week in Jerusalem, just before his crucifixion. Every day of that week, the masses are gathering even early in the morning in the temple to listen to him with his growing popularity and his growing audience. The religious authorities wanted to silence him, to forbid him from teaching in the temple area. But with the crowds on his side, at least for the moment, they cannot afford to do anything. Not right now. In the evenings after teaching during the day, Jesus would escape outside of Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives. The feast is drawing near. It was the reason that Jesus had come to Jerusalem with his disciples. They were to celebrate the Passover together. The Passover memorializes a time when Jesus spared the firstborn of Israel and delivered them from their bondage would now be remembered by Christians as a time when God's firstborn would die and all humankind would be delivered, liberated from the bondage of sin and Satan. Everyone in Israel at this time is thinking about the feast. It had been the subject of discussion in the academies, the discourse in the synagogues, Everyone was making their way with their families to Jerusalem. All had watched the festive procession as the pilgrims were traveling to Jerusalem to the Passover. It was a celebration that remembered the very birth of a nation. It was a time of year when friends who hadn't seen each other since last Passover would get together and, well, renew friendships and catch up on all the family gossip. The journey was long and the roads were dusty and the kids would ask all along the way, Daddy, how much longer, how much longer till we find ourselves in Jerusalem? It was a time of year when offerings that had long been overdue were finally taken to the temple. It was a time when purification rites that had, well, been long needed were finally at last obtained. 
National and religious sentiments were stirred afresh, reaching all the way back to the Exodus and looking forward to the future, well, released from Roman domination. Political stirrings were in the air this week. And some in the crowd had even said that this Jesus, this rabbi, might himself be the Messiah, the Holy One of Israel. It was all the chatter, will he come? And if he comes, will he do miracles? And if he does miracles, will he overthrow Rome? The Jewish authorities wanted none of that. They tried with rumor to suddenly bring Jesus into disfavor with the crowd so they could finally at last arrest him and silence him. But they were unsuccessful. They had to figure out another way to silence him without causing a commotion. For now, well, for now, the crowds, they would have to wait. It must have seemed too good to be true. The moment the religious authorities are calculating and planning and seeking a way to get rid of Jesus, Judas comes to them, one of his own disciples. In fact, the treasurer of the disciples' band come and says, I can hand him over to you. We can do it in a quiet way. Let's agree on this. Let's plan it out. I have my price, 30 pieces of silver. They were elated to hear this plan that would prevent a riot and yet stop the rabbi. They were willing to pay him off, no questions asked. The timing, however, had to be perfect to stop political uprising. As you read this text, you have to wonder. The various emotions and thoughts and feelings in the air at this Passover. What's in the heart and minds, the intents of the people? First of all, Jesus. What is Jesus thinking about as he teaches in the temple? Jesus is thinking about the kingdom of God. He's teaching there in the temple what he always taught, repent, for the kingdom of God has arrived. With his arrival, the kingdom comes. Repent, get ready. He's thinking about his suffering. He's thinking about the cross. He's going to ask God if there's any other way, let's do it the other way. But he knows deep down it's the Father's way. Jesus is thinking about you. Jesus is thinking about us. He's willing to suffer. The chief priests, the temple officers, on the other hand, number two, they're not thinking about the kingdom of God or about suffering for the people. Rather, they're thinking about power and not losing position. They, they saw Jesus as a threat. They were thinking about how can we stop this man so popular with the people. Thirdly, Judas. Judas is thinking about money. 30 pieces of silver. Here he walks in the very shadow of God. And he thinks about money. 30 pieces of silver. Has anyone ever missed it any bigger than Judas did? He's walking lockstep with God, sitting at God's feet and listening. And yet he's thinking about the price of a common slave. Hey, Judas, you want to make an easy 30 pieces of silver? Just give them Jesus. 
Satan said, Satan enters him. And the end of Judas is near. Look at 22.5. It says they agreed. And they were glad when Judas came and agreed to give him money. It means a contract. They struck a deal. Judas struck a deal to sell Jesus over to the authorities. Some of us have traded Jesus for a whole lot less. A sexual escapade, the right to steer our own lives, the right to serve ourselves rather than others. Doesn't take much for Judas. It doesn't take much for some of us either, does it? We'll trade our devotion to Jesus and his church for the smallest of prices. We look at the character of Judas and what we don't like about him sometimes as we see our own reflection in that mirror. And we look at the religious leaders who don't want too much of Jesus. They want to keep him at bay. They don't risk their power position. And we see ourselves again. As we look at these characters of the Passover narrative, as Jesus goes into Jerusalem, what are you thinking about? Thinking about money, you thinking about power, you thinking about being the greatest, like the other disciples. Are you thinking about the kingdom of God and service? For what price would you be willing to silence the Savior? Henry Nouwen speaks of missing the eternal. He said, a life is like a day. Now, you think with me for a moment how quickly your days go by. Days fly, and as we get older, they go even faster, I have to tell those of you who were young. Days go by so quickly. Life is like a day, says now, and it goes by so fast. And if I'm careless with my days, how can I ever be careful with my life? If I'm careless with my days, how can I be careful with my life. I know that somehow I have not fully come to believe right now that urgent things can wait while I attend to what is truly important. It finally boils down to a question of deep and strong conviction. Once I'm truly convinced that preparing the heart is more important than preparing the Christmas tree, I'll be a whole lot less frustrated at the end of the day. Busyness, says Nowen, is the enemy of spirituality. It's laziness. It's doing the easy thing, being busy, instead of doing the hard thing. It's filling our time with actions and staying instead of paying attention to God's actions in Jesus. The crowds were busy and curious. They wanted to get close to Jesus, but not close enough to change their lives. I watched Jesus teaching at the temple, and I listened to the scribes whispering at a distance, how are we going to stop him? And I smell the stench of betrayal as I look over and see Judas in this text, and I wonder, where am I? Where are you in this story, in this picture? What are we thinking about? Are we right there like everybody else in the crowd? A friend of Bruce Larson's was driving past the apple country with his wife. They saw a man 
beautiful apple trees, a beautiful orchard, and they saw a man filling a bushel basket full of apples, and they pulled over, and they stopped, and they said, sir, we really like some apples. Can we pay you for some apples? He said, no, just help yourself. And they went and opened the trunk of their car, and they had those big brown bags from the grocery store, and they were filling their brown bags from the grocery store with these beautiful, the most delicious most wonderful fruit, apples, and after they filled two or three bags, they kind of felt like they were pressing the gift, and they stopped, and they said, as they were loading their car, are you sure, are you sure we can't pay you for these? He says, oh, no, I'm, I'm stealing them here just like you are. It doesn't make any difference to me. <laughs> are we right there with everybody else in the crowd? Look at verse 7 and 8. On Thursday, the day before his crucifixion, Jesus sends Peter and John to make arrangements. Then came the first day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And he sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. If Judas had known for the master and the disciples were going to celebrate the Passover, he had betrayed them a lot earlier. That would have been perfect. On the Passover Eve, everyone is celebrating the meal, and tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of Jews would be off the streets of Jerusalem. That would have been the perfect time. If Jesus had let everybody know when and where he's going to observe the Passover, then, well, the authorities could have shown up then and there. But Jesus was in control. He knew where the Passover was going to be observed, but he didn't tell Judas. There was not a treacherous thought that Judas had of which Jesus was not already aware. But Jesus could not let Judas have his murderous way, at least not yet. There was so much more to be done with the disciples. There was a farewell meal, meal to be shared. There was the broken body and the cup. And, well, there was more teaching about suffering. And so, not telling Judas or any of the others, he says to Peter and John, go to the city. Get things ready for the Passover. Why, Lord, the city is full. The place is already taken. You can't show up this late. We don't have any accommodations. Look at verses 10 through 12. When you enter the city, a man carrying a water pot, follow him to whichever house he enters. Once inside, say the master of the house, the teacher wants to know where is the guest room in which he may eat the Passover with his disciples. He will show you a room all ready to go. Prepare the meal there. These words, in effect, are passwords. Prearranged, divinely arranged, they're one and the same, aren't they? Go to the house, follow the man, the man with the water pot, tell him the master has need of the house, and he will show you a room all ready to go. Jesus is not a pawn in the, the hands of political fate. Rather, he's the agent in control. Look at verse 13. And they departed and found everything just as he told them. Peter and John find everything just like Jesus has said. They, go to the, they see the man with a water pot. 
a job which women would ordinarily do, and that would make the man stand out. Men would carry the skins, the women, the pots. They followed the man carrying the woman's jar. They know that's the code. They go to the house. It's all set. Everything, Luke tells us, is just as Jesus has said it will be. Peter and John look at them there together. The first time we see them solely together, just the two of them, and from here on in the gospel, they will be woven together in this story. The man of quickest action, Peter, joined with the man of deepest feeling and thought, John, as Jesus gives them a task. Disciple in Jerusalem gives Jesus the use of his room, the best room, the room with the outside stairs. The tables and the couches are all ready for the meal. Jesus demands the guest room. You see the oddity at the beginning of the story of Jesus. There is in this gospel no room for him, no guest room, no room in the end. There is no place. And now the teacher has the authority to say to the master of the house, I need a room. The one that had no room beginning of the story is given the upper room the best room with his disciples verse 15 I want to prepare this farewell meal with you before I suffer here Jesus begins to tell his disciples once again about his suffering about the cross that's around the corner just days away now, traditionally, the Passover, we would be celebrating with one's family. But Jesus sees these disciples who've left their families to follow him as his family. Well, we know what Judas was thinking about. We've already seen what Jesus was thinking about. We, we know what the religious authorities were pondering on their mind. But what about the disciples? When Jesus is talking about suffering, are they listening? Do they know? Do they understand? Jesus takes some bread. This is a farewell. I won't take the Passover again until we're in the kingdom. He takes the bread and says, this represents my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. For now on, the Passover would have new meaning. It would represent new freedom, not only freedom from Egyptian bondage, but freedom from the wrath of God, freedom from death, and freedom from our sins, freedom from the powers that be. And then he said, this cup is my blood, which is spilt for you. A new covenant is upon us. And the blood of Jesus, we're told here, is poured out. And it is so much more efficacious and has been the blood of the Passover lamb sprinkled on the doorpost because this new blood, this new covenant brings a forever forgiveness of sin. But one of you is going to betray me, he says. Do we grasp how shocking that statement really is? This is my body, which is broken for you. This is my blood, which is spilt out for you. I'm going to suffer. I am the real Lamb of God that liberates. But one of you is going to hand me over. 
Is it I? It not, it's not, not, not I, is it, Lord? They each said, hope, hope I'm not the one. Look at verse 22. For indeed, the Son of Man is going as it has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. Jesus is saying, you're not control, betrayer. I will suffer as God has determined for me to suffer, not as you have willed. What are they thinking about? Judas thinks about money. The religious authorities think about power and status quo. Jesus is thinking about the arrival of the kingdom, the real arrival with the crucifixion. And even while those words are lingering on the lips of our Lord about his suffering, the 12 disciples that day, look at verse 23. They began to discuss among themselves which one of them might be the one who's going to do this. And then verse 24, there arose a dispute among them as to which one of them was regarded to be the greatest. Can you imagine that? Twelve disciples with him day and night for three years. And in this final time before the crucifixion, they were guilty of jealousy and ambition and denial and affection. Being with Jesus for three years doesn't seem to have changed them very much. Talk about losing the ability to perceive who you are really with and, and what's important. During the Byron Nelson golf tournament in Dallas in 1981, a massive tree limb on the third hole fell and killed a spectator, died instantly. Charles Cootie was there playing on the third hole, and shortly after the accident, Cootie was interviewed on the radio and and talk to the reporter, he said, after running over and seeing the accident, I tried to, tried to play golf, but after that, I had no real desire to play golf. Now the, the three-foot putt just didn't seem all that important. Our perspectives change, but the perspective of the disciples seems to be the same. They're still arguing over position and power. They're filled with ambition, Savior's Messiahship, in light of their materialistic expectations. They're arguing over who's the greatest, who's the biggest, especially James and John. He was talking about the spiritual. They were thinking about the material gain. He was thinking about others. They were fighting for themselves. He was talking about servanthood. They were grasping power. And what are you thinking about? as we ride into Jerusalem. There was a stitch there. They spoiled the atmosphere of the Lord's table, even on the eve of the crucifixion. It seemed no matter how much he tried to tease them and tell them, they didn't get it. The argument gets so intense James and John arguing, hey, we're going to sit at the right and the left hand. When he overthrows Rome and sets up his kingdom, we'll have a chair, each one on the side of Jesus, won't we? It's odd. They're so busy arguing over who's the greatest, they don't even recognize what Jesus does. While they're arguing, all of them, not just James and John, over position and power, 
They hear a sound of water. Jesus has gotten up from the table and tied a towel around his waist, and John's gospel fills the basin with water and begins to wash their feet. New perspective. It's like the limb falling on the third hole. Not me, Lord, Peter says, the one who wanted power. Not me. You're not going to wash my feet. Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you're not one of mine. Well, Lord, Lord, goodness, wash my feet, my hands, and my head. I'm master. You call me teacher, and so I am. And if I, the master, the teacher, are willing to wash your feet, should you also wash one another's feet? The rabbi, the Messiah, doing the job not even the humblest slave could be made to do. What are you thinking about? Power or service? We're wired to think about power. You have to be Jesus-like to think about service. You think about what's good for you or what's good for others. We're wired to think about ourselves. It takes a Jesus moment to think about others. Are we thinking about the material like Judas? Are we thinking about riches beyond like Jesus and the kingdom? He wants them to see his suffering. But they don't get it. Not yet. Here we are on the eve of the crucifixion, and everybody but Jesus is thinking about the wrong thing. What are you thinking about? As we hear this story, the only question that remains is how will we respond to it? We know how Judas responded to the story. It's sad. We, we know how the disciples responded to the story. It's not much better. We know how the religious authorities respond to the story. Don't need to follow them either. The, the question is, now you've heard the story. This is my body, which is broken for you. This is my blood spilled out for the new covenant. Now you know he's going to the cross, that you could be liberated. And now that you see he is the Passover lamb... How do you respond today? A tourist stood in front of the Mona Lisa at the Louvre in Paris. After examining the painting, he unfortunately mumbled out loud. I don't see anything so great about that. The nearby guard promptly replied, Sir, the painting is not on trial. Your taste is. <laughs> Indeed, the painting has withstood the test of time. As we read the story of Christ, what are you thinking about? Remember, it is the gospel that judges us and not we the gospel. It is the gospel that judges us 
and not we the gospel. We have not all gathered wondering what you think about it. it the question is, what does the gospel think about us? What am I? What are you? Looking at this portrait of the Christ, this portrait of the Passover, what are you pondering? Let us pray. Oh God, indeed, all of us are judged by and through the gospel. Have we received his death as our death? Have we celebrated his empty tomb as our empty tomb? Have we died with him that we might rise with him? Have we called him Lord? Have we received the blood that was spilt for us? The body that was broken? Maybe there's some even here today who would say, today is my day right now to get it, to understand this rabbi Jesus, to call him my Lord, to put my priorities in place. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.